0: The rise in global anti-Semitism has caused some, even here in America, to question why we support Israel. Israel matters to God, and therefore it should matter to us. We will analyze our everlasting support for Israel on this edition of End of the Age. Good afternoon, everybody. I'm Dave Robbins with End Time Ministries. Thank you so much for joining me on this edition of End of the Age. You know, there is a false narrative that is being preached throughout the world, and that is anti-Semitism, and it's on the rise. And I want to make sure that I kind of head off that false narrative because End Time Ministries is going to be working with Israel a lot throughout the end time. And I want to make sure that the next generation comes up and this generation even, but the next generation especially, that they know why we support Israel, what we're doing in the end time and the importance of it. Why is it even important? Because there's a lot of people that are pushing anti-Semitism. And if you don't know the history of Israel and what it's all about, you might tend to lead that way. There's a lot of people that are saying Israel's an apartheid state and... Uh, a lot of different things. It simply is not true. And so I'm going to focus on Israel today. We're going to go through some history, what's going on, some anti-Semitism, this false narrative, and make sure that you understand why we, end time ministries, and you should support Israel. You know, it's astonishing to me, back on um, September 23rd, many of you may have heard about it, the house passed a... $1 billion Iron Dome funding after this squad, you know who the squad are, uh, anti-Semites in our Congress, after they got it cut from a spending bill. Now, Iron Dome. So Israel's Iron Dome, That's a missile defense system and it intercepts missiles that come in uh, that are being shot at Israel and it can pick them off in the sky. In um, Israel's Iron Dome, this missile defense system, it intercepted what? I think 90% of the barrage of the rockets that were fired by Hamas in that recent conflict that they had. And it saved countless of lives. Why would you try to defund that or to pull it out of a a spending bill? In other words, to give them a billion dollars to help fund that. Totally anti-Semitic. And this this false narrative, this anti-Semitic false narrative, it's on a rise, even here in the United States, and we've got to try to squash that. The international community is very anti-Semitic, especially the United Nations, according to the UN Watch, which keeps an eye on the anti-Semitic uh, rhetoric and. Uh, propaganda that comes out of the United Nations, they stated that in just the recent 75th session of the UN General Assembly, that was just held in what, I think mid-September, all European Union member states uh, would likely vote for one resolution, each on the human rights situations in Iran, Syria, North Korea, Myanmar, and Crimea, as well as on the U.S. for its embargo on Cuba. But by contrast, European Union states would likely vote for 13 out of 17 resolutions that singled out Israel. Yet these same European Union states failed to introduce a single UN General Assembly resolution on the human rights situations in China, Venezuela, Saudi Arabia, Cuba, Turkey, Pakistan, Vietnam, Algeria, or on 175 other countries. They focused, so in 2020, let me give you a few instance here. In 2020, the UN condemned Israel 17 times versus six times for the entire rest of the world combined. So you can see how anti-Semitic the United Nations is. Which is the voice of the international community, right? The seat of world government in the earth. Let me give you a couple more examples. Uh, back on October 13th of 2016, in a 24 to six vote, the United Nations Educational, Scientific, uh, and Cultural Organization—it's called UNESCO—has pr- uh, gave primarily approval to a resolution that denied Jewish ties to its most holy sites, the Temple Mount and the Western Wall. And it, that's why I want to... I'm going to go through some history today and give you the background of all of this, why this is so such a false narrative. But at the time, Prime Minister Netanyahu stated, today, UNESCO adopted its second decision this year, denying the Jewish people's connection to the Temple Mount, our holiest site for more than 3,000 years. Now... That's the mindset of the international community. On December 23rd of 2016, you remember as a parting shot to Israel, the Obama administration abstained from voting on U.N. Security Council Resolution 2334 and allowing it to become international law. Item number one of the U.N. Security Council Resolution 2334 clearly states that Israel's presence in East Jerusalem is illegal and is a flagrant violation of international law. So it states this: the establishment by Israel of settlements in in the and they say it's the Palestinian territory. It's not the Palestinian territory. So many false narratives going on here. But the establishment of Israel of settlements in the quote unquote Palestinian territory occupied since 1967, including East Jerusalem, has no legal validity and constitutes a flagrant violation under international law and a major obstacle to the achievement of a two-state solution, which is anti-Semitic. It's land, trade land for peace is what the world's trying to get Israel to do. And that solution, and a just, lasting, and comprehensive uh, peace, that, this is the mindset of the international community against the eastern section of the city of Jerusalem. Now, Bethlehem is included in that, where Jesus was born. But yet they think that they have Israel should have no right to that. Okay? I just want you to get the whole the big picture here because you want to teach your children that you should support Israel. Now, I do not agree with everything Israel does. But the nation of Israel being there, God put them there. And God said, I will put my name in Jerusalem 40 plus times in the Old Testament. So God chose Israel as er, Jerusalem as Israel's eternal capital. And we've got to support that. We need to stand with and protect Israel all the way to the end. The Bible says we will do that. But you don't ever want to get, it, get caught up in anti-Semitism.
1: Major internet companies are silencing and censoring Christian voices online. These companies are trying to control what you see and hear. Almost 200 videos of ours have been marked as restricted online right now. That's why we launched End of the Age Plus, a platform where the truth won't be censored, a platform where we can preach the message of the gospel. When you subscribe to End of the Age Plus today for just $12.99 a month, you can watch all of our content in a secure, easy-to-view way from your favorite device. When you go to watch.endtime.com and subscribe, you'll get instant access to all of our teaching resources, including Revelation, the unveiling of Jesus Christ, Understanding the End Time, End Time Magazine, and so much more. We will not censor our message to comply with what the world deems as politically correct. Go to watch.endtime.com right now or search Into the H Plus in the App Store or Google Play.
2: Hi, I'm Judy Baxter. When Irvin and I got married, we didn't realize that our calling would be a prophetic ministry. Since we started End Time Ministries, there have been many times we weren't sure how we would pay the bills. But God has always provided. We started with the magazine, then went on radio and TV. It is necessary for God's purpose. The most important thing is that you are ready when the Lord comes. Our hope is to help prepare you for that day. God bless you, and we love you.
0: We'll get back to the rise in anti-Semitism and the why we support Israel in just a moment. But I've got a couple quick announcements. This weekend, I will be in the Pentecostals of Katy in Katy, Texas. That's 1941 Westboro Drive down there in Katy. The phone number down there, 281-829-2332. This conference, I will be there Friday night and Saturday night. Friday night, October 22nd from 7 to 9 p.m. I'll be teaching the future according to Bible prophecy. And then Saturday night, October 23rd from 6 to 8 p.m. I'll be doing Breaking Prophetic Fulfillments. We will have a time of Q&A with the audience. I've got some new information to share with you Saturday night, so you don't want to miss that. So I'll look forward to seeing you in, in Katy, Texas, this Friday and Saturday. We'll be traveling down there on Thursday. And all. if you need more information, everything maps and everything to get you to the conference is found on our website, endtime.com at the uh, events and then conference section uh, in the when the, the little deal comes down there at the top, the tab. So, I uh, look forward to seeing you in Katy, Texas this weekend and meeting many of you. God bless. Now, the rise in anti-Semitism in the world today. On May 2nd, 2017, you remember, UNESCO passed a new resolution referring to, uh, throughout the document, to Israel as the occupying power in Jerusalem, indicating that it has no legal or historical ties to any part of the city. Now, for someone to believe that, they have to say, I don't believe the Bible. And But if you understand the Bible, if you understand the history of Israel and how much God is vested in Israel and that He loves Israel and that He gave an everlasting covenant to Abraham... That still applies to Israel today. So you could never follow a false narrative like this. Now, also, I mean, it sounds crazy, doesn't it, that to say that Israel has no right to Jerusalem? But there are many people. That's the, that's the mindset of the international community. The Cave of the Patriarchs, um, on July 7th, 2017, UNESCO determined that the Cave of the Patriarchs down in Hebron is a Palestinian heritage site, not a Jewish heritage site, but a Palestinian heritage site, even though Abraham purchased the Cave of Machpelah down in Hebron all the way back in Genesis 23. So, these anti-Semitic actions by the international community, they've been happening for decades, folks. And Abraham and several of his family members, they're buried down in Hebron, including I, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Sarah, Rebecca, and Leah. Uh, the only one that's missing is Rachel, who was buried near, the, near Bethlehem, where she died in childbirth. So it's from these patriarchs and matriarchs that the nation of Israel was birthed. And it's clear to see that the anti Israel bias at the United Nations and its many tentacles, totally anti-Semitic. So the question is today, and this is being pushed, the Antichrist will push the anti-Semitic narrative. It's something that you cannot follow in the end time. So why do we care, right? That's the question. What What, what is so important about Israel? I mean, it's 8,000 miles away and you know, what's so important that we would give of our time and resources to stand by and protect Israel throughout the end time? Especially end time ministries and everything we're going to do. The the magazine campaign going to every home in Israel once the final seven years starts. The door knocking campaign, our Jerusalem Prophecy College, all the different things that we are going to be involved with in Israel. We'll, we're also helping uh, Jews make Aliyah, back to Israel from around the world. We support that cause. We work with the Jewish agency. And so why why do we do so much for the nation of Israel? Well, do you and your children know the answer to that question? If I was to set you down across the table, have a cup of coffee and say, okay, why do we support Israel? Why, Why do we even care? Could you answer that question? And, you know, you're not going to get it from the nightly news, liberal news, right? There are more prophecies about the nation of Israel than almost any other nation on the planet. Israel has a, it really does have a God-given destiny and is a chosen nation. Now, you can argue against that, whatever, but that's simply the fact. If you look at the Bible... And though it's only a little nation, that makes up less than, what, one-tenth of a, a one percent of the world's population, Israel is in the news every single day, every week, every month, all throughout the year, every year. It's never out of the news. And another thing is that you know that you, you recognize in the news that we are bombarded every day with news about Abraham. You've got the Abraham Accords. You've got that new Abrahamic family house that's being built in Abu Dhabi. It's going to be open next year. That has a church, a synagogue, and a mosque. It's it's an interfaith um, Abrahamic family house. You've got, and this is in the news all the time, the Abrahamic religions, Judaism, uh, Christianity, and Islam. And then the prophecies about the end-time Abrahamic covenant That we talk about all the time. I mean, Abraham, this gentleman that was chosen by God, what, 4,000 years ago, we're still talking about him to this day. He's in the news every day. So why should we care about Abraham? I mean, 4,000 years later, right? Well, it all boils down to this it's a God factor. This is in the Bible if you understand the Bible, if you understand the story and life of Abraham and the history of Israel, the history specifically that centers around Jerusalem, then you can understand why we as Christians and prophecy teachers that understand the Bible choose to support Israel in every way. I don't support their LGBTQ uh, endeavors and things like that. No, of course I don't support that. But I support the nation of Israel as a whole because there's going to come a time when all those that have made it through the Great Tribulation and have made it through the Battle of Armageddon, that when the Lord comes back, plants His feet upon the Mount of Olives, they will recognize Jesus as the Messiah. And the Bible says in Romans 11, 25, and 26, that when the fullness of the Gentiles be come in, all Israel will be saved. They're going to recognize Jesus as the Messiah And they are going to be born again at that point. They'll have to be. So, let's talk about Abraham for a moment. If you don't understand the history, very important. The first 11 chapters of the Bible. Now think about this. First 11 chapters of the Bible devoted to 2,000 years of human history. The Adam and Eve. The flood. uh, Everything that happened. the, uh, The entire... A lot of the beginning, the institution of marriage, all of that is set up prior to um, Cain and Abel. All of those stories prior to Abraham coming on the scene. 2,000 years of recorded history. The Tower of Babel, all of that in the first 11 chapters of the Bible. But when a man named Abraham arrives on the scene... God slows down and spends the next 12 chapters on the life of one man. And that indicates how important Abraham was in the plan of God for humanity. I mean, Abraham becomes the father of the physical people of God, the Jews, but also the father of the spiritual people of God on on the earth, the church. Look back in uh, Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3. It says, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house and unto the land that I will show you. God specifically chose the land that he wanted to show Abraham. And he said, I will make of thee a great nation and I will, here it is, I will bless thee and make thy name great and thou shalt be a blessing and I will bless them that bless you And I'm going to curse them that curse you. And in these shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Folks, from this scripture right here alone, regardless of what happens from then on, God made an everlasting covenant with Abraham. And he said, I'm going to bless them that bless you. And I will curse them that curse you. Right there. I know the Bible. I believe the Bible. And that means, guess what? Dave Robbins will always support the nation of Israel. So, you understand that Abraham was called Abram until God changed his name. And this is God's call to Abraham or Abram. And he was called to go to the promised land, the land known today as the nation of Israel. And from this one man, every family on earth would be blessed. He would be a blessing to any who blessed him and he, they would be blessed, and any who would curse him, they would be cursed. So this promise is still applicable to the offspring of Abraham, the nation of Israel. Today, we want to bless them. That's why we are so um, vested in the nation of Israel today. Now, I love the Jewish people. I have many, many friends, longtime friends. Uh, of Jews in Israel, I, I love those people. All of my childhood heroes, coming up through Sunday school, they were all Hebrews, right? And the apostles, and you look at King David and Abraham and uh, Moses and all of all of the major uh, the prophets in the Bible. Daniel, I mean, they're just they were our childhood heroes, right? David fought Goliath and Noah and the flood and everything. And then, of course, the apostles, which taught the gospel throughout the New Testament. So, I love the Jewish people. And then, um, okay, then, of course, God gave Abraham two promises. He gave him the promise of the promised land and the promise of the promised seed, singular. So, he was going to be blessed Abraham's seed, or the lineage, but also there was a singular promised seed that it was promised to Abraham. Genesis 15 tells us about the promised land. Uh, Genesis 15, 12. And when the sun was about to go down, a deep sleep came over Abram, and lo, a horror of great darkness fell upon him. In the previous verses, God told Abraham to prepare a sacrifice. When Abraham did so, Darkness came over him, and he fell into a trance. Then Genesis fifteen seventeen 17-18 says, And it came to pass that when the sun went down, it was dark. Behold, a smoking furnace, a burning lamp that passed between the pieces of the sacrifice. In the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, Unto thy seed have I given this land. Now, these are the promises, everlasting promises to Abraham that still applies in 2021 so when the international community comes along and says well uh, th- you know they don't have a right to Jerusalem I almost laugh because I'm like you don't have a it's you know the United Nations totally humanitarian organization they don't know anything about the Bible or God and really don't care about God so they don't care about this everlasting covenant between Abraham and and the lineage of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But the Bible says unto thy seed have I given this land from the river down in Egypt unto the great river, the river Euphrates. So God made an unbreakable covenant with Abram. He, he had journeyed to the promised land, the land of Israel. And in verse 18 God laid out the rough boundaries of the promised land from the river Egypt unto the great river Euphrates. So Israel has never really had all of its land except during one era. That was during David and Solomon's reigns, that Israel's boundaries covered the area from the river in Egypt all the way up to the Euphrates River, way up in the north, way up in Syria. And though Israel does not have all of this land now, the promise is still just as valid as it has ever been. So Genesis 17, 19 talks about the promised seed, singular. It says, And God said, Sarah, thy wife, shall bear thee a son indeed, and thou shalt call his name Isaac. And I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant, and with his seed after him. And so at this time, Abraham was 100 years old. Sarah was 90. So according to Scripture, Sarah had already gone through the change of life. And for this promise to be fulfilled, would that would be as supernatural as a virgin birth, right? I mean, it would be... He's going to bring forth a promised seed that God is telling Abraham about. And so this promise that it was fulfilled as God said it would be. I mean, Sarah become pregnant at 90, and the baby was born, and they named him Isaac. Abraham and Sarah... Had, had no doubt Isaac was a special child, obviously. I mean, it was an incredible event. God was working his plan in the earth. And so a time came when God needed to test Abraham. God was making Abraham the pivot of human history, right? So, I mean, like we're talking about it in the news every day. And so the father of the Jewish people was Abraham. God was making him that. He chose him to be that and the father of the church on the earth so you can see that why do we talk about abraham every day because he was the pivot one of the main pivots in our in human history and we're still being blessed as a result of that and i'll tell you why on the other side of the break
3: whether it's a global pandemic threat of war or floundering economies end time events are happening around the world every day
0: Now, God had to make sure that Abraham would prove to be loyal and faithful. So he had to test him, he had to prove him. In Genesis 22, verses 1 through 2, it says, And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt or test Abraham, and said unto him, Abraham, behold, here am I, Abraham said, And the Lord said, take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, which thou lovest. Now Isaac was the promised son, you understand. The miraculous, uh, the miracle son. And the Lord said, and get thee into the land of Moriah and offer him there for a burnt offering on one of the mountains which I will tell thee of. Well, so God tested Abraham's faith by asking him to sacrifice the joy of his life. His long-awaited promise to proved uh, what he loved most, God or God's promise. And, you know, though many people believe Abraham agonized over sacrificing his son, Scripture doesn't indicate that that was true. The only commentary that we have concerning this event is where one writer said that Abraham staggered not at the promises of God. So, God leads Abraham to Moriah to a specific mountain called Mount Moriah. And this place is important because 1,000 years later, during the reign of David, this mountain would be where the first temple would be built. And then 1,000 years after that, it would become the Temple Mount. So it's still known as the Temple Mount today. And it was all part of God's plan. But, In 2021, the international community comes along and says, well, we really don't believe you have a right to that. See the false narrative I'm talking about going on in the world today? The rise in anti-Semitism? That is a, a horrible, that's stinking thinking, everybody. God chose that land for those people and promised it to their father Abraham. So for the international community to say, well... You we need a two-state solution Israel you need to give up land for peace. I don't agree with that. Now, they're going to do that. The Bible says they will. But I don't agree with that action. That's Israel's land. When they say they're occupying the territory, that is not true. That's disputed territory. So, when Abraham, Isaac and the, the servants arrived at the mountain indicated by God to be their destination, Abraham told his servants, hey, you guys stay here. The lad and I are going to go yonder to mountain to worship and then to return. So Abraham knew God never failed concerning his promises. So God had told Abraham that his seed would be blessed through Isaac. So Abraham Abraham believed God's promise would come to pass. So either God would stop the sacrifice of Isaac or raise Isaac up from the dead. Abraham knew God would not break his covenant. So when they arrived at the top of the mountain, Moriah, Abraham built the altar, bound Isaac, and then placed him on the altar. Abraham raised his knife over the promised son whom he loved and was ready to sacrifice him for God. And you know, sooner or later, everybody, God's going to ask everyone who follows him for the thing they love the most. He he wants to know if, if you love him more than we love anything in this world. You can't put anything before God. So in Genesis 22, uh, where are we at? 12 through 13, it records the account of this event. Uh, th- when he's got the knife, he's ready to thrust down. A voice of an angel spoke and said, Hey, Abraham, don't lay, lay, the, lay not thy hand on the lad. Neither do thou anything unto him, for I know that thou fearest God. Seeing thou hast not withheld even thy son, thine only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behind him a ram was caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went over, took the ram, offered him instead of his son. And so this land that God showed Abraham, Mount Moriah, everything is falling into place. But yet there's a false narrative today by the international community that says, oh, you know, they, they don't even have, shouldn't even have a right to Jerusalem. you got to be kidding me. Okay, so th- let's focus on, let's move from all of the nation of Israel to specifically Jerusalem. Because, folks, that's the e- ter- the eternal capital of Israel is Jerusalem. If the Palestinians, the Arabs, the international community can take away Israel's right to that city, then the rest of it just kind of falls apart, right? That's why Israel will never give up Jerusalem ever again. It's never going to happen. It's prophesied. They're going to have it all the way through. Half of the city is going to go forth into captivity at the Battle of Armageddon. That's when the Lord comes back and fights on behalf of Israel uh, uh, at the Battle of Armageddon. Now, God chose Mount Moriah... the the Temple Mount around um, 2000 BC when Abraham, when he instructed Abraham to go sacrifice Isaac there and you remember that Isaac's name was later changed to Israel. That's how we got the nation of Israel or the name Israel today. You know, during the all-night wrestling match between um, Isaac and the Lord. So Then around, uh, where are we at? About 1000 B.C., King David moved Israel's capital from down in Hebron up to Jerusalem. And Jerusalem remained Israel's capital for the next, what, 1,070 years until the Romans drove the Jews out of the city in 70 A.D. So during King David's reign, God instructed him to buy the Temple Mount as a place of sacrifice the exact same place to which God had sent Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. In 2 Samuel, verse 24 through 24, we're told that David purchased the temple mount from Arana, the Jebusite, for 50 shekels of silver. Then King David's son Solomon builds the first temple on the temple mount, and it was completed in, get my dates right here, 968 BC, during the dedication of Solomon's temple, you know that fire supernaturally fell from heaven on the sacrifice and the glory of God filled the temple. And this divine event forever solidified in the Jewish mind God's approval of the temple on the temple mount as the center of Jewish life. Look at it today. Even. This would be what, uh, 3,000 years later. And so, one of the most important things that you and I should know is that God said, what would that be? Probably 40, I think it's 40 plus times in the Old Testament, God said, I will put my name in Jerusalem forever. So, when you hear the false narrative today, the international community. Well, you don't have any right to East Jerusalem. It's like you, these people have no clue what the Bible is even talking about. Once you understand the history the, and, and the Bible, the history that the Bible gives us, the, the, the Bible is a better history book than any of the history books out there. They're always changing. The Bible never changes. So once you understand that, you understand the false narrative of Israel's right to that land, to Jerusalem, to the West Bank, even more land than they have now. It's their God-given right. Now, a lot of people can argue about that. No, they, you know, they went in, they, they, they're occupying the land they shouldn't have had. It. No, no. God miraculously brought them back into the land. And so, whether people believe that or not, that's the way the Bible reads, and we're always going to go with the Bible version, right? I mean, you have to. That's one of the reasons prophecy is so important. Prophecy is a a great way to validate the Bible. So, the Lord appeared to Solomon at that time, um, at, at night, after the dedication, and he said, hey... I've heard that thy prayer and have chosen this place to myself as a sacred, or I, I'm sorry, as a, uh, what do you say? House of sacrifice. That's, that's, in, that's in 2 Chronicles 7, 12. And he went on to say, for now have I chosen and sanctified this house, now this is Almighty God, that my name may be there forever. Now think about the Temple Mount today and that mine eyes and mine heart shall be there perpetually. That's 2 Chronicles 7.16. So, folks, this is a God thing here. This is not something that we could just erase from history. This is a God thing. And if you believe the Bible, if you believe in God, if you understand His Word is true, then you would never believe the anti-Semitic rhetoric and the false narrative that's coming from the international community, and people right here in the United States. We will support Israel all the way. Now, moving on to Second Chronicles 33.7. It says that not only will God put his name in the temple, but also he would put his name in Jerusalem forever. Jerusalem's the only city on earth in which God said he would put his name there forever. You understand? So think about that, though. With this pronouncement, the wars over Jerusalem began. I mean, it appears as if Satan said, "Well, hey, if you want your name there, then that's where exactly where I want my name." And since that time, there have been more wars fought over the, the city of Jerusalem than any other city on the planet. Folks, this is a spiritual battle between God and Satan. Guess who wins in the end, though? It's no competition. God's going to. Satan's no competition for God. A lot of people like to build Satan up and, ooh, Satan. No. Hey, listen, if you're serving Jesus Christ, greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. My hope and faith and trust is in Jesus Christ. It's not in the government. It's not in my insurance plan. It's not in my uh, relatively small bank account. My hope and faith and trust is in Jesus Christ. And guess what? He has never, ever, ever failed me. Never. Not one time. I was talking to our staff the other day. I said, would somebody give me a, a, a time when God has failed you? Nobody could. Never. Never. God will never, ever fail you. He may take you through some trials, tribulations, let you go through some stuff, trying to work some, work out some rough edges and different things. But He will never fail you. You can always trust God. And so, you say, well... Oh, uh, I'm scared to death. Um, inflation's rising and uh, this vaccine mandate and all these different things. You know what? The Bible says, God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and of a sound mind. A sound mind through the times of storm and trials and tribulation. God is always with you. Okay, wow, I gotta get back on my timeline. Um, <clears throat> But it's very important because of this crazy false narratives that are being pushed. Fear, fear, fear. I'm teaching hope, faith, love, trust in Jesus Christ. So the first temple era begins, 968 BC to 586 BC. Solomon's first temple stood from 968 BC to 586 when the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar destroyed the temple and the city of Jerusalem. Carrying the people of Judea away as slaves into Babylon Daniel was with them But did that mean the promise of God to Abraham went away? No That promise was an everlasting covenant between God and Abraham through his lineage of Abraham Isaac and Jacob That promise is still valid today as I'm sitting here speaking to you And so don't believe the false narrative of anti-semitism and the occupying forces in Israel So, the people of Judea, they're carried away as slaves down into Babylon. And during that following 70 years of captivity, devout Jews turn their faces three times each day towards where? Jerusalem. And they ask God to forgive them of their sins and to return them to the holy city. Well, God answered their prayer in 538 B.C. when the Persian king Cyrus released the Jews from their captivity... And decreed that the temple should be rebuilt. And, of course, you remember the story. Led by Zerubbabel, the temple was rebuilt on the Temple Mount. Not in the city of David, but on the Temple Mount. They rebuilt it on the exact foundations. The Bible tells us that. And it was being completed in 516 B.C. And this began the second temple era. Now, once again... Jerusalem and the, the Temple Mount became the center of Jewish life. Jews were making their way to Jerusalem three times each year as commanded by God in Deuteronomy 16.16. 16. And so the Second Temple era went from uh, 516 B.C. all the way to 70 A.D. After the completion of the Second Temple, Israel enjoyed a time of you know, relative quiet under the, uh, the world government of the Medes and the Persians. I mean, even when the Medes and the Persians were conquered by, uh, <coughs> see who uh, Alexander the Great and his Grecian armies, Israel continued really living in the Holy Land with Jerusalem as its capital. But then came the Romans. The Roman general Pompey he conquered Jerusalem in 63 B.C. and placing Israel in the Roman sphere of influence by returning to the Hasmoneans to power. So. In 40 BC, Herod was appointed king of the Jews by the Roman state, and he was entrusted with enforcing Roman influence in the Holy Land, and with, of course, collecting the Roman tax. Many of you have watched um, the Chosen, and you could see that the just the oppressive uh, Roman forces there in Jerusalem, and they were. Remember uh, what Peter and them are always talking about: the tax, the tax, right? So. In 37 B.C., Herod the Great captured Jerusalem, ending the Hasmonean rule. And because Herod ruled Judea as a client king of the Romans, the Jews hated him. And in an attempt to gain favor with the Jews, Herod, Herod the Great remodeled the second temple and made it, make it larger and more beautiful. And Herod, or the, um, the big platform that stands there today on the Temple Mount with the big wall, which is part of the Wailing Wall, that is the platform that Herod built. And so it was said of the, the refurbished second temple, he that has never seen Herod's temple has never seen a beautiful building in his life. Well, that brings us to the birth of Jesus You know, since 600 B.C., the Jews had lived through the global empires of Babylon, Media, Persia, Greece, and now Rome. In that region right there. So in spite of living under the domination of one world government after another, there still burned in the hearts of the Jewish people the promise of the Messiah, who would liberate them from their enemies and establish a reign of peace and justice. So in the 400 years preceding the birth of Jesus, no prophet had appeared uh, to the Jewish people. It it was as though God had simply fallen silent. The last word they had received from God had come from the prophet Malachi. He said, uh, behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. That's Malachi 4, 5, and 6. 4, verses 5 through 6. So the Jews looked for Elijah to come, and they hoped for an end to all the strife that continually ripped Israel apart. And then one day it happened. Wise men from the east showed up at Herod's palace, claiming that they had been guided by a supernatural star to come worship a child that was to be the king of the Jews. Well, Herod was beside himself. He summoned the Jews, the, the high priest, and he said, where's the Messiah supposed to be born according to the prophets? That specifically prophesied in scriptures, replied the high priest. Micah clearly tells us. But thou, it says, but thou, uh, Bethlehem Ephrata, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, Yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me that is to be a ruler in Israel whose going forth has been from of old, from everlasting, Micah 5, 2. So Herod explained to the wise men that Bethlehem was some uh, five miles to the south. You can go there today. You can be in Bethlehem in no time from Jerusalem. And he instructed them to return to him after finding this newborn child so that he could Worship him. But Herod didn't want to worship the king of the Jews. Instead, he wanted to kill him. Well, it was about this same time, the shepherds on the hills just outside of Jerusalem, they were visited by a host of angels. And the angels said, We bring you good tidings of great joy, for unto you this day is born in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. The shepherds left their flocks to go find the child. Sure enough, They found a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger, just like the angels had said. They bowed and worshipped him. Now, Bethlehem, where Jesus was born, that's in the West Bank region in eastern Jerusalem right there, right there in the West Bank part. And yet, the international community doesn't believe the Jews have a right to that area? It's crazy. But a lot of people are believing this false narrative that's put out by the international community. Folks, we are here, one of the reasons, to win souls, to win people to God, preach the gospel of kingdom around the world, but an everlasting covenant with Abraham, we're going to stand with Israel all the way to the end. The Bible says the United States will. I'm thankful to live in this country. Is it going a little crazy right now? Yeah. Yeah. But I'm not scared. I'm not living in fear because I know we have a destiny as well. Especially if you're in the church. If you're in the church triumphant, serving the Lord Jesus Christ, you have a destiny on your life. If you're not in the church, what are you waiting on? Get in. It's very simple. A lot of people want to make it into just this big, I've got to climb climb Mount Everest. No, just get in church. (sighs) Get back on my program. Okay, so... The reports of the events that swept through Bethlehem, Jerusalem, and it was really throughout the rest of Israel, it went like wildfire. And once again, hope sprang up within the hearts of the Jewish people. A king has been born, a deliverer, a Messiah. Well, 30 years later, John the Baptist came preaching in the hills of Judea. He, he didn't preach like other rabbis and different things. He preached with great power and he said, say, saying, repent ye. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand, Matthew 3, 2. And the people wondered, could this be Elijah promised by the prophet Malachi who would come before the coming Messiah? John even said, there cometh one after me that is mightier than I. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, Matthew 3, 1. Or I'm sorry, that would be uh, Matthew three eleven. So then Jesus came preaching. He healed the sick. He even raised the dead. He fed 5,000 men with five loaves and two fishes. Surely he was the Messiah. Many in Israel believed on him. But the religious leaders of Israel hated him. They were jealous of him because of the crowds of the people that followed after Jesus. And he was a threat to the religious traditions that they had formed through the centuries. So he was a threat to the religious authority that they had exercised over the people of Israel. He could not be tolerated. He had to die. So, three days before his crucifixion, Jesus stood on the Mount of Olives, looking over the city of Jerusalem. And in Matthew 24, or I'm sorry, uh, it's in Matthew, it says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, that thou killest the prophets and stonest them which sent unto thee, which are sent unto thee. How often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chicks under his wings? But you would not. That would be Matthew 23, 37. So Jesus is weeping over Jerusalem, and he's prophesying its destruction. Uh, Luke described the same scene as Matthew, but in more detail. He said, And when he has come over, when he has come near, he beheld the city, and he wept over it, saying... If thou hadst known, even thou, at least in thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace, but now they are hid from thine eyes, for the days shall come upon thee, that thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee, and compass thee round, and keep thee on every side, and shall lay thee even with the ground, and thy children with thee, and they shall not leave thee one stone upon another, because thou knewest not the time of their visitation. That's Luke 19, 41 through 44. So, it happens. The Romans destroyed Jerusalem in 70 AD. It was only 30 or 40 years after the prophecy of Jesus that the Roman armies came, camped around Jerusalem, and they invaded the city and burnt the temple to the ground. Not one stone was left on another. The platform and the wall that Herod built is not the temple. It's... It was the platform the temple was built on and they tore the temple down just like Jesus said they would. Well then in 135 AD the Roman Emperor Hadrian totally banned Jews from living in Jerusalem. This began the almost 2,000 years of Jewish exile from the Temple Mount and the city of which God had said I will put my name there forever. So that the exile began in 70 AD and in 1878 years later, in 1948, Ezekiel chapter 37 prophesies, Ezekiel's boneyard, that I will bring this nation back together from the death. We believe that Ezekiel's boneyard, Ezekiel was seeing a vision of the Holocaust and the crematoriums and the bones laying everywhere and God brought that nation back together. Ezekiel 37 is God in the end time bringing Israel back together as a nation. So that exile lasted 1,878 years. On May 14, 1948, Israel declares her independence. God had brought her back from the Holocaust and from around the world, and they start coming back to the nation of Israel. Why is it so important? God promised Abraham an everlasting covenant. Abraham get you out of your homeland and of your kindred I'm going to take you to a land that I'm going to choose specifically for you and for your descendants forever. That's the nation of Israel today. God miraculously brought them out. Ezekiel 37 is the prophecy, and they're bringing them back together as a nation today. Why do we help Jews make Aliyah from around the world? It's the plan of God, everybody. Why are we going to help the Jews in Judea? It's the plan of God. Why do we have a Jerusalem prophecy college in downtown Jerusalem? It's the plan of God. And so it's very important that we understand. We don't want to pay any attention to the false narratives being preached about anti-Semitism and anti-Israel. No, we do not agree with that. I love Israel. I love the people of Israel. I have many friends in Israel today that are wonderful people. And we will stand with them all the way to the end. Why? Because of the God factor. We love Israel because God loves Israel. They gave us our Bible. God bless.
4: This has been End of the Age, brought to you by the faithful partners of End Time Ministries.